Poetry Night rings through. Enjoy the next 25 minutes of Chris Jarmack. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Good to be here back again. And so she wanted a moon poem, but nobody's been reading moon poems, so they're not cooperating with you. Oh, okay. Well, I'm only here tonight, so I'll read a sort of, not really a moon poem, but it has a moon in it. So that counts. Poem starter 603. (laughs) The morning after the spoon ran away with the fork by the light of the silvery moon is not something they write songs or nursery rhymes about. So there's your moon poem. So this uh, book came out in the very end of August, beginning of September, and you might recognize this uh, wonderful work of art that's on the cover. It's by Dwayne Kirby Jensen, and I saw it about a year and a half ago and said, that's the cover of my book, and uh, lucky for me it happened. So, um, And it, actually there's a little uh, dedication poem starter to Dwayne in the very beginning of the book. But first, my one of my favorite quotes starts off the book. It does, somewhere. I swear. There it is. By this guy named Ray Bradbury. You must stay drunk on writing so reality cannot destroy you. So the uh, poem starter to Duane is, um, uh, the last part of it is the title of the piece. And it's a poem starter 913. Hope is dissolved Faith is compromised when believers try to silence their gods. And I was going to read a couple that... There we go. Poem starter, 1,429. The sound of nothing wasn't heard, but the meaningless of the moment mattered. Pollocked out. Flawed brushstroke of blue on white thick textured paper. A flick of camel hair brush discarded by artist gone mad. Drip by paint drip. Perhaps the fumes. Perhaps never knowing. Good enough? Fake? Fabulously famous intensified doubts. Crippling depression. Who can you trust? The liquor hit his belly on fire. Spun the room so fast. Laughing out cries, collapsed without caring, the anger released, the self-loathing too. An artist has no rules. Take a too-young lover, drive when drunk, shit in your pants, it's what's expected. The secret to living forever is to make sure you die too young, so a few can get rich off your rage. Poem Starter, 2013. The definition of insanity is repeating the same thing over and over again. Guns don't kill people. The definition of insanity is guns don't kill people. My so-called American life. You've programmed me to want more than I can afford, taught me to be able to get more than I can afford so I can owe someone more than I can afford for the rest of my unnaturally extended life. 
I am one big, never-ending Oliver Stone movie. I am a giant mouth with an insatiable sweet tooth and unquenchable thirst. My rush needs a rush. I need to shout, scream, and yell at 11 and 12 speaker surround sound that I deserve more, more, more. Inject 1,000 cc's of distraction into my pulmonary artery so I can permanently escape from reality. Let me recapture my forgotten spent youth, own all the songs I ever got high to in high school. Give me the movies I first saw in between commercials in black and white. Monty Hall's Castro convertible couch. A new car! A modern all-electric house with antique dining room chair replicas made of indestructible polyurethane plastic that don't squeak. I want my kids to have everything they want as long as I give it to them and they know that I gave it to them and they tell all their friends I gave it to them and they love me for it even more, more, more. I deserve it. I think hard, wish hard, play hard, paying the interest on the interest. I master the credit card roulette. I'm the refinance king, robbing Peter to pay Paul and Mary. I don't have to pay for half of it until the next decade. I want to invent a new sense so I can overstimulate it, plug it into the internet, and let it fly and crash through game sites, sex sites, chat rooms, until I wind up a flashing pop-up span on a spam on a billion screens. I've given up on religion and politics. No time to think. Everyone I know is crooked, telling me too loudly what they think I want to hear. I can't take it with me, so I better enjoy it all right now. I'm steering my car with my knees so I can text. More, more, more. Crash landing on a mold-infested bad lollipop cruise ship. I realize everything I've enjoyed has made me fat, sick, lazy, and dumber than the Hollywood suits who approve the blockbusters I watch on my personal two-story 3D IMAX home theater. So make me forget and strap me into the roller coaster ride and go faster. No pain, all gain. Give me the recycled, updated, brand new, all improved, retro, advanced, new age, stunning technological breakthrough with added bells, whistles, extended warranty, money back guarantee, free servicing, and updating for life. Let me swallow the latest pill that makes me stay up two inches younger and thinner. I'll drink it down with a triple shot mocha, almond, mint, all fat, tall sprinkle of cinnamon with room for more, more, more. Poem starter number 86. The poetry of drunks is sobering. Wait a minute. Recovery girl for Dasha. Recovery girl takes her first steps on the tightrope stretched over Relapse Canyon. Loved ones hold their breath for her, needing to help, knowing they must not. There's little confidence inside Recovery Girl. She must trust words from an invisible coach, ignore how naked, how utterly alone she feels, and she must fight with every thread of her soul that irresistible urge to look down. Okay, this is a weird one. A weird one. Not a bowl full of cherries. I've had a revelation that life is like a cup full of noodles. Not just any cup of noodles, but maraschon, instant lunch, chicken-flavored, caution, hot. Hot cup of bland broth, cardboard-tasting ramen noodles, 12 dehydrated corn curdles, 9 carrot slivers, and 8 peas. Hot cup of MSG broth causes dull headache like 9 to 5 job. Styrofoam cup of quick caloric intake, salty. I have a method. 
a method to tease with three spoonfuls of plain noodles and broth, and then to please with a bite that includes, oh, glorious, flavorful, sweet pea. Conservatively save sweet pea, only eight, the spark of life in bland, salty broth. Life is like a cup of dehydrated insta-lunch. More peas, please. So every April I do uh, what's called NaproRimo, which is you write a poem every day for April. And on my blog, I'm one of those people that also comes up with various prompts to help people get inspired to write even more poetry. And every once in a while I actually write something worth saving. And this was a prompt poem, which was I like to do as a parody poem, but it came out particularly well, at least I think so. The Hacker Focky, with apologies to Lewis Carroll. Let me get it set up so I can turn the page here. Okay. The hacker focky. Twas Google and the old C Yahoo did John and Twitter on the net. All vixens were the baby boo and our lilt crocs confet. Beware the hacker fock, my son, with pics that lie, posts that kill. Beware the cyber bull, Facebook shun that criminy slacker will. He took his firmal mouse in hand, long search for nerdist foe he scoured, distracted he by eBay ads, YouTube cats devoured. And in his unprotected viewing, the hacker fock with tools of shame attacked with virus spewing, and I am as it came. The firmal mouse went clickety-click, zero-one-zero-one, track and track. He quarantined and took its head, message boarding frack. And hast thy newbie slain hacker fock? Emoticoms to you, dear boy. O oh, Yang Po Day, Vacru Bichet, they glee text in their joy. Twas Google and the old see Yahoo did yawn and Twitter on the net. All vixens were the baby boos in our lilt crocs confet. Poem Starter 1958. Listen closely and you'll hear the sound of my life beating. Wind chill. As I unscrew the top of my head, there's enough hollow space inside. It sounds like I'm taking the cap off a mason jar of blueberry preserves. I say blueberry, but I'm thinking sour cherry. So tart your mouth puckers and your eyes water. I should probably cry. It's been too long. Crazy, she would say, but I don't tell her these things anymore. The aluminum wind chimes gently tinging, hearing the breeze through trees around uneven spaces of roof and gutter. I fly over lake, a cool gray reflecting the cloudy winter sky. The air is making the skin on my face feel like cellophane. I write cellophane not because it's one of those words used too many times by poets in the 1980s, but because my face really did feel like cellophane. It's going, I answered into the phone. I'm on the deck. I haven't seen her face in a long time and wonder how her hair looks now. There was once a hot, humid summer. A couple had found their dream home too good to be true. What are you thinking about, she asked. Our house, I said. There was silence. Which brings up <clears throat> another cherry one called Bleak. The rest of your life will consist of depriving yourself of most pleasures. 
compromising your strongest beliefs, giving up many of your dreams, eating and drinking far less than you desire so you can live longer, participate in uncomfortable social settings which pass the time so you don't think too much about the aches and pains of your rotting body, that itch you can't scratch, that lost moment you can't forget, and that regret you refuse to bury. You tell yourself there is pleasure in chores, in accepting responsibility, in giving to others what you never had, in raising children to emulate acceptable behaviors. You believe rewards are present in the doing, in the journey, and in an afterlife. You have faith exists. You are in fear of almost everything and haunted by your thoughts every waking hour. You escape through a maze of unbelievable truths, faith, and self-delusions. You realize it's best not to think bleak. <laughs> a hug. I feel much better. I, I'll continue. <laughs> Homestead. Yesterday, the nearly 50-year-old house my 87-year-old parents lived in was listed for sale. Nearly 3,000 miles away, I picture its room full of things. I picture its rooms empty, silently awaiting new possessions. I need some water. saying I'm just saying it's just water Jim poem starter 1315 if I write hard enough and the pencil point doesn't break the paper doesn't tear or the keyboard doesn't crack then maybe maybe I no longer hear the door slamming or the breaking of glass new suit 1965. New suit, Palm Sunday. New suit, Robert Hall. New suit for Easter. New suit to wear Sundays. New suit for little man. New suit, blonde hair. New suit, special day. New suit, communion. New suit, next Easter. New suit, confirmation. New suit, cousin's wedding. New suit, Palm Sunday again. New suit, aunt's funeral. New suit, green plaid. New suit. Dad insists a new suit. Don't like new suit. To hell with new suit. So no new suit for me. <laughs> not a poem about high school. This poem is certainly not one about high school. That's the last thing I would write about. So this poem is not about high school. It's not. The jocks, the heads, the brains, the class clowns, the rejects, the black kids, the Asians, the new kids, the babes, the cheap dates, the juvies, the retards, and the invisible ones. The rich, the poor, the upper middle class, and the ones we do nothing about, but we heard things. The polite, the goofy, the hairy before their time, the virgins, the promiscuous, the perverted, the beautiful, the handsome, the polite, the rude, the ugly, the carpenter's daughters, the fat slobs, and the one with cancer. The people who ignored me, the people who watched my back, the people who betrayed me, the people who picked on me, the people I admired, the people I fantasized about touching, the people whose lives I wanted the people who I felt sorry for and the people I thought about killing slowly. 
The embarrassing moments, the acts of cruelty, aggression, and teenageism in the times too horrible or just far too dull to remember. This poem is certainly not one about high school. That's the last thing I would write about. So this poem is not about high school. It's not. Or, never mind. More about father and son. You'll never amount to anything. Are you ever going to learn? Are you going to sleep all day? You can't go on like this. You need to go to church. You'll never amount to anything. Don't talk back to me. There are no free rides, pal. You think you have it tough. Who the hell do you think you are? You better straighten up. This is my house, my rules. You'll never amount to anything. This is no way to live your life. What the hell is the matter with you? When are you going to grow up? Turn the music down. What do you know about it, Mr. Budinsky? Not fair. Life isn't fair. You'll never amount to anything. Money doesn't grow on trees. Don't you care what people think? Stop being so selfish. Shut up and listen to me for a change. You're going to wind up in jail. You'll never amount to anything. I don't want to hear about it. You need to be more responsible, Mr. Smarty Pants, Mr. Know-it-all. Call me when you don't need anything. Goodbye. Hello? Is everything okay? Where are you? It's been too long since we've heard from you. I tried to call you, but the number was disconnected. You taking care of yourself? Well, you must be doing something right. I don't know how you do it. I'm proud of you. You know, you can tell me anything. I'm here to listen. Well, you know where we are. I love you. Not a self-made poem. The writer's fingers weren't bloodied when he typed on his keyboard with the fury of Pete Townshend thrashing his guitar. Now, through the pea-soup fog of self-doubt, the loser, formerly known as You Won't Amount to Anything, steps up to the microphone and reads a muted scream filtered into a poem about sunlight sliced by evergreen bristles into beams of light. The calm demeanor never lets you even imagine a sexually abused past. It's been washed off his sleeve long ago by a downpour of wordplay soothed by peppermint balms of humor, redirecting rage under titanium pain, frying up doubt and lack of confidence that sticks to the Teflon coating, though the pretender at the microphone ignores the irony with every breath. Yeah. Another long one. This one begins with a quote from Alice Walker. I was brought up to try to see what was wrong and write it. Since I'm a writer, writing is how I write it. It's called I Don't Want to Forget. I don't want to forget. She told me the story again. I liked hearing it anyway. And we haven't seen each other or talked like this for six years. Your dad hates it when I see it, she says with a chuckle and a little repositioning of her head that makes me realize she genuinely enjoyed being a little naughty, a bit of a rascal. I must get it from her. I'd better explain so you'll understand the story. My mother's maiden name is Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T. She once had six brothers and sisters. Two are left. She's 87. Oh, he hates it when I say it, she says. Did he ever find it funny? Maybe. Probably not, she says. 
As I like to say, I used to be right before I got married. Of course, when you hear this, it sounds like I used to be R-I-G-H-T before I was married. And if you think my dad is an engineer, and if you know my dad is an engineer, an IBM think man for nearly 30 years, an only child, an A-type control freak personality, a devout Catholic who later in life became a deacon for over 20 years, you might realize this little act of rebellion from mom pushed his button hard every time she uttered it. God bless her. When I suddenly realized this time, what I suddenly realized this time is how mom delivers the line with the sort of perfect comic timing her beloved Johnny Carson sometimes used when delivering his Tonight Show monologues. Henny Youngman had, take my wife, please. Mom has, I used to be right before I was married. My dad was in the hospital, internal bleeding. Things took a turn for the worse. I hopped on an expensive flight from Seattle to Newark, rented car to Poughkeepsie. Dad recovered, but it took a few extra days. We talked quite a bit in the hospital. He was worried about Mom. Mom had trouble walking. She would not use the cane Dad got for her. Mom hadn't left the house in over a year, and that was to attend the funeral of her sister. Mom wouldn't go to the doctor. Mom wouldn't permit strangers into the house. Mom would have anxiety attacks. Dad took care of her. Now he was in the hospital, worried about mom, home alone, going up the stairs without anyone around. Would the neighbors bring the papers and mail from the driveway and mailbox to the front porch where mom could get them? We talked in the hospital about many things. Most weren't important or controversial. How's your mom doing, he asked me, even though he had just talked to her on the phone ten minutes before I got there. She seems okay. We've had some nice conversations. I got her lunch and then some jelly donuts from Dunkin' Donuts. Oh, wonderful. She loves jelly donuts. I'm so glad you're helping us. We joke, make witty comments at the nurses, hospital staff, and visiting chaplain who came from India 30 years ago. He really was named Charles Heston. Oh, so that was your chariot outside taking up two parking spaces, we joke. Mom and Dad have been together over 60 years. Your mother drives me crazy, you know. Dad reminds me for the third time in the last hour. And you let her, I say again. This time he asks, what do you mean? A perfect example, something she says that she knows will upset you. What's that? I was right before I was married. Oh, I hate that, he says loudly, fist clenching. She used to say that to her friends and family all the time. It's funny. Not to me, he says. She knows that. That's why she still says it. She enjoys hurting me. She enjoys realizing you can't control everything about her or yourself. What? She knows how you will react when she says it. She knows she can get one up on you and something, and that's something that's very difficult to do. Do you think she loves me, he says, in a little quiet voice I almost never heard before? I don't hesitate. There's no doubt in my mind that she loves you very much. He says nothing for a moment, then sighs loudly. How do you know? I can see it in her eyes when we talk about you, the way she tells me things, like how her saying I was right before I was married upsets you. She loves you very much. And tears well up in Dad's eyes. You don't know how much I needed to hear this. It means so much. It's unconditional, I say. Yes, he says, his body relaxing, his eyes closing to nap. How am I doing for time? Okay. Poem starter, 1,426. 
Live your dash, said the man in the cemetery. Live your dash. Why? For Jack McCarthy. In his memory, hold the hand of fallen acquaintance, spouse, daughter, son, friend, drunk, addict. Help them to their feet. Look them in their eyes. Remind them there is help even when they don't believe they can be forgiven. Tell them there is hope that love exists. They are human. They matter. And most important, there is light. The darkness tells us so. The opposite of love is doubt. Our enemy is fear. Everyone falls. Everyone hurts. Everyone forgets. You only need to imagine you can dance and the music will get louder. You only need to listen and the words you need to hear will be there. Today you won't believe it, but your worst fears will make you laugh tomorrow. Some of you gifted with grace, carry on the powerful message. All we share are these brief moments in time. If they are dark, soon comes the light. If they are bright, reach out for the hand of another. Pull them out of their shadows. Tell them the whole truth. If they are listening, this is what they need to hear. If they aren't, perhaps the next time, perhaps the next messenger will be the one to simply remind them that all of us, the addicts and the normies, all do life one day at a time. How many, we got a lot of writers and poets in the room, I assume, right? Okay. In that case, I have a love-hate relationship with this guy named, uh, what's his name again? T.S. Eliot. So, he, he has a long quote that goes like this. This is, uh, the poem is called Reaction to an Eliot Quote. Poetry is not a turning loose of emotion, but an escape from emotion. It is not the expression of personality, but an escape from personality. But of course, only those who have personality and emotion know what it means to want to escape from these. I got this. Fuck you, T.S. You are, I'll admit, more correct than wrong in your arrogant proclamation. I have sat through bad poetry at hundreds of readings. I have written many awful poems. But the perfect poem is a dead thing, and I prefer life shouted irresponsibly with passion and emotions into the dark night. Words should stir, and no one should hide for very long from the stirring or deny too much that our human imperfection is something better lost. Poetry, like love, is messy, sentimental, you pompous ass. Ask Alfred. Go write your almost perfect poems, Elliot. But your boasting about this deserves exactly what you attempt to rise above and reject, this crude and personal emotional response. I have a poem that they uh, did a whole bus stop over in uh, downtown Seattle. And uh, uh, one of my poems is also writing a couple of buses. And the poem um, I submitted basically is kind of a lark because I knew the guy that was curating the uh, the poetry for buses. And I sent it to him kind of to be a wise-ass, and he liked it, and he sent it to the judges, and it got picked, and all this stuff happened. Anyway, the name of the poem is called Dear Poem Owner. Dear Poem Owner, sorry you weren't home. Use the words you hid to get inside. Moved around things, careful not to disturb much. Washed some dirty words. Ordered the ideas you planted and threw the adverbs down the garbage disposal. Seemed the least I could do. Thanks.
I will read a couple more, like Poem Starter Infinity, at both ends or beginnings. Before I read that one, I should do the uh, the <clears throat> homage to one of the most influential poets of the modern age, undeniably Seuss. Oh, the places I could go and the things I could do and all the things I could think just to gaze upon your sneeches, smell your green eggs and ham or to touch your yurtle. My mouth waters when I think of your ying or you in the gox with the yellow socks, that mop-noodled fincho, what I would do with your nasm of basm if given half a chance. Nothing can prevent this obsession I have, not Bipper or Skipper or Dinwoody, Slinky, Stinky, or any of the other Fuddenuddler brothers, not the single files and Zunian Zucks, the south-going Zacks, Didwick the Moose, the quick queen of Quincy, or even the mayor of Whoville himself can control this zizzer zazzer zuz of a wocket I feel that surpasses my longing for little Lola Lop or the right side up song girls or even Yolanda Waldo Jorensen. Now don't get all Miss Fuddledy Duddle on me or tell me I'm no better than a peeping Nurkle or I belong with Van Vleck the Vipper of Vip. Horton the Elephant and the Maisie Bird told me in no quit quigger or clots that my pre-pelf prue was made for your sneelock and you can count your zummers that I won't be denied. I'll count one fish, two fish red fish, blue fish, win the butter battles and cooperate with Sam I am but I'll hold your verooms, caress your yurtles and walk woombus and wimp with you down Mulberry Street if it's the very last thing I ever to williger do. And finally I like dead poets. I don't have to be nice to dead poets. If I'm bored with their poems, I can close the book and stop reading. They will never know. They do not ask me what I think of their poems. I don't have to give a drunk dead poet a ride home. They won't vomit in my car. They don't need cab fare. I have not been stuck with a dead poet's bill. I have not had to make excuses for a dead poet's behavior. A dead poet has never stolen a phrase or idea from me. I like dead poets. Someday, I will be a dead poet too. Thank you very much. Chris Jarmick, everybody. Thank you. Scaramouche.